Praise God. Have a look with me, please. Let's read some, some scriptures tonight so you can see where we're, where we're going here. The book of John, chapter 16 and verse 33. The book of John, chapter 16 and verse 33. And it says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. Uh, that you might have peace. Hallelujah. Uh, have a look over with me, please, in the book of uh, James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Some of these you know, I'm sure. But they're good to let our eyes fall upon it and our ears hear it. James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy. Remember, he said, be of good cheer. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, that's tests and trials. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith, so the tests and trials are trying your faith, works patience. But let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Have a look, please, at the book of Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. For he that sows, verse 8, to the flesh shall reap of the flesh corruption, but he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Do not be weary in well-doing. That would imply that they would be things that would try to make you tired, which we could call tests and trials that would try to make us tired. Uh, Listen, I, I, I'm going to say it on Sunday, but I just want to encourage those of you that are here tonight. Lord spoke to me this afternoon, uh, more, 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 mm, with more intensity than even when he talked to me about the message. But he said something to me about balance. And he said, people in your church that don't come on Wednesday night are giving, getting an imbalanced diet. Yeah, that's true. And he said, the anointing on Sunday is not the only anointing that they need. There is an anointing on Sunday that's different. The service has a certain flow to it and a certain purpose to it. But that anointing is not the only anointing needed. There is a very different anointing on a Wednesday night than a Sunday morning. And there's a very different anointing on a Sunday night than a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. And there's a different anointing in prayer sessions than on the Sunday night, the Wednesday night, and the Sunday morning. Do you know what I'm saying? And he said that to me very clearly. Uh, tell them that uh, if they don't come or watch. Now, he emphasized the word watch because he knows God's very practical. He knows some people, they've got shifts. Yeah. They're believing God for those shifts to change. But sometimes that takes time. God has to work on that manager. God has to move those angels are working things around to change things. It doesn't always happen overnight. So many people want to, but they just can't because they've got to have a job. But God's working that out if they release their faith. And it may take time, but they can always watch. That's the wonder of live stream that they can always, I mean, back in the old days, remember Greg, I mean, most of your life was the old days. Um, but, um, but anyway, um, but anyway, back in the old days, uh, <laughs> Uh, do you remember we didn't have none of this live stream nonsense? Uh, I think most of you would remember this, that if you wanted to hear what the pastor preached, you had to get the CD. Yes. Now we don't even have a CD player in our car. Now we don't have one in our laptop. Now we don't even know where to put the CD. If we got one, we don't have a way to play it. Uh, or, or before that, you got the cassette tape. And before that, that was before my time, but you remember it, Greg, you got the reel to reel. 
reel to reel. But that was in your day. That, that, was, that was long before my day. I just had the cassette tape, praise God. <laughs> and the eight track, thank you. Uh, but uh, now, we, now we, anyway, so life is moving on. But, um, but if, you know, if you wanted to do it, it took more effort is all I'm trying to say. You couldn't get it right away. You had to wait for the lady in the, you know, the old lady. Every church had an old lady in the tape room. You know, that she's retired. she got nothing to do. And she sits there and pushes play. And, and those tapes go like this. Uh, our Harvest Family Church had one. Evangel had one. They're all ladies, retired ladies, because they're so precious. That's their ministry of helps. And they just, and you got all these things going at the same time. They're doing like 20 cassettes per, per, at the same time. I would go down and help them. I would put the labels on them. And she'd say, now, Craig, don't mess it up because I'm doing a lot of work on this. You know, sometimes I'd flip the tape, mess her up. It was fun. Anyway, uh, but uh, it, you had to wait the next Sunday and then you had to go to the info center and you had to show that you had ordered it. You had to pay your money and you had to get your cassette tape. And that's the only way you could hear what was preached the Sunday before. We have it so stinking easy. By 3 p.m. every Sunday, not only do you have the audio, you have the video. All you have to do is go on and just click a button. And you can do it, you can play it, you know, you can watch it as you're cooking, you can watch it, don't watch it as you're driving, but you can listen to it as you're driving, you can, you, it's so easy. And I've heard the Holy Ghost in my heart say, if they don't listen to all of the counsel, all of the anointings, it will be an imbalanced diet. And then what happens, Willie, is you got people that say, well, I'm not really getting what I need. And they're not because all they're here is Sunday morning. But there were answers on Wednesday night, that, but they didn't watch. I understand you can't come, but you didn't watch. You could always watch. We have it easy to watch. We have it easy to watch. And there's answers in the whole counsel of God under all the anointings, in all the flows, in all the services. And, and of course, that's, that's church. But then, of course, you get answers in your prayer closet. So whatever is lacking, if there's anything that you're not getting here, you get it in your private time. But I felt the Lord say, tell people that because some, they get, they get tired and they well, I can't come to church all that much. But, but what you need is you need all the word because there's different flows with God. Not every flow and not every anointing is the same. Do you understand? Not every flow and anointing. When I was in Brazil, every single sermon, and I don't understand why. Well, I didn't at the moment because I just kind of wanted to teach sometimes. I really enjoy teaching. But that anointing would come on me to be a, to just, to preach. And to, I don't know how to just, I don't know what to call it. It's just, but I'm, I don't, that's not me. That's God coming on me because he wants that punch like that to get into them. But that's the anointing, that, but, but every service was like that. Why? And I said, Lord, I, I'm so grateful, but, you know, maybe I should just preach, teach a little bit or something. But he said, that anointing is needed for this spiritual atmosphere. That's why you've come. I want you to punch through some things. The teaching anointing won't punch through that. It's a different anointing and a different flow for a different country, a different, a different time and a different atmosphere. So God has different anointings and you need all of them. But in the local church, you're not always going to have the same like when I'm on the road, because that's for a different purpose. The local church, we have to have a balance, not just on the subject material, but on the flows that we have. So I'm, 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 what I'm trying to do is honor you and pat you on the back and thank you and, and, and just do this, please, for yourself right now. Everybody do that just a little bit. Or maybe the person in front of you, just do that to them. And, and just, just I'm trying to compliment you because you're being faithful and you're getting, you're getting the different flows. Don't touch my wife. You're getting the different, you're getting the different flows. 
your wife's over there. Why don't you go do that to her? Um, you're getting the different flows, praise God. And we need them. So I, I, I just want to encourage you. I know Wednesday's busy. I know. But uh, just get ready because in the new year, God told me we're going to do Friday night for those that are hungry and you're going to take off running. That's what he said. You're going to take off running. That anointing is going to be there to pray. And, and, and we need to do that. We need to pray. Praise God. It will be a different, I don't know what it's going to feel like, but he said it will be a different flow to Tuesday morning. In the prayer realm, it will be a different flow. But, it, but it, there's, there's a heightened awareness of it in my spirit. So I'm excited, praise God. But today, uh, you know, I was talking on Sunday a little bit about how the Lord said to me, you got to approach what's happening uh, skillfully. You can't look at it, things like you did back in the old season because it's a new season. New enemies, in some ways tougher enemies, and, uh, and they're, they're aggressive. They're attacking. They're attacking family. They're attacking finances. They're attacking health. They're attacking different things. And I'm talking me and everybody. And he said, you've got to be skillful in how you address them. And you can't just address it like the old season. You got to get in the spirit more. You got to use your dominion when you're in the spirit more because that's how you're going to turn things. Not just praying, but getting in the spirit. And then he said, not everybody is under the same attack as you or, or going through the same thing that you are. But he said, the attack has increased overall in general on the whole church. Are you with me? That doesn't mean you have to be going through a difficult time today. But in general, in this new season, there's been an increase of buffeting. Can I put it that way? And one of the congregation members after service on Sunday came up to me and they said, Pastor, thank you for that. I can't tell you because we've been buffeted as a family. Not, not to try to leave the church, not out of offense, just they're standing, they're believing God for things. And there's just an increased buffeting. And they can't, why is this there? Because it's, it's, we prefer it not to be there. But in a new season... Uh, we're going on with God, there, there is also new, new enemies to try to hinder us. So we talked about that, and ultimately, the most important thing, see, there's multiple strategies, right? When you go into war, you don't just have, you know, your, your gun, your, your, you know, your machine gun thingy. You've got other forms of weapons. You've got, you've got uh, you know, explosive devices, and you've got, you know, your, your handgun, and there's different, it's not just one weapon that a soldier has. He has multiple weapons for different purposes. That, what we shared, shared on Sunday morning, is one of the most important, because when you get in the spirit and you use your dominion against those buffetings, you'll get victory. And we've got to do it more frequently and more skillfully because we're in a different season. But this, today, the Lord kind of picked up on that, but, but now he's coming at it from a different angle. He, and I'm not, that doesn't lessen what I said Sunday morning. It's just a little bit different. But he said to me, he said, now when that buffeting comes, he said, often with people, tiredness comes. Weariness comes. And uh, I know that's true in my life. Because and even physically, emotionally, mentally, you can just, when you're being buffeted like that, you just, it can wear you down. And it's not that you, that's not a bad confession. That's just the doggone, as, as Randy would say, the doggone truth about it. I'm telling you the doggone truth. It just, it wears you down. And that's why he said uh, here in verse nine, let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we'll reap if we faint not. There is a chance to faint and there's a chance to be weary when you're buffeted. And the Lord said to me this afternoon, he said, I want to talk to you a little bit about that because one attack weapon, one strategy is what you shared Sunday, which is probably the highest and the best, which is get in the spirit, use your dominion. But there's another weapon that we have to, to confront these, these attacks, yes. these buffetings. And it's very important. Now, it's not as dramatic as just praying in the spirit, getting in the spirit and binding the devil. It's a different weapon, but it's, just as, it's important as well. 
And God wants us to have a well balance because it's not, it's not the only thing we do is not just pray, get in the spirit and take authority. But that is a very important weapon. But there are other weapons. And he was talking to me about one of them today because he was talking to me about increasing it in my personal life, which obviously means we've all got to increase it in our lives. And it's a tonic to tiredness. It's a remedy to weariness. And it's a spiritual weapon in our arsenal. And so look with me, please. I know you know it, but look with me anyway at the book of Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, because I saw something. He opened up something that I hadn't seen before that really blessed me. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all ye that labor. Labor, labor, labor. That means to be fatigue or wearied. And are heavy laden. That means to be loaded up and overburdened. So you can labor but not be heavy laden. Do you understand? That means there's two categories of this. You can be in the lower category where you're fatigued, but then you can be in the other higher category where you're not just fatigued, but you're overwhelmed. There is a difference. Jesus said, come unto me all that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. (laughs) I'm telling you, uh, that's what we're really looking for a lot of the times is rest. Uh, Take my yoke upon you, my yoke, and learn of me. For I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest unto your souls. So that means he has a yoke. You know what a yoke is? They put it on oxen for what purpose? To get the oxen not to separate ways, but to go in unison in one direction. Now that yoke can be a bad thing, but that yoke can also be a good thing. What he says is take my yoke, meaning you're yoked with me. Meaning we're going together at the same pace and in the same direction. Are you with me? When you're yoked with Jesus, you're yoked with the word. Take my yoke on you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly of heart, and you'll find rest in yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Praise God. Now, Isaiah, quickly, please. Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 27. Isaiah 10 and verse 27. And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. But if you read the previous verse, this is talking about, uh, this is talking about they're, under, they're under siege, they're under heavy persecution, they're in bondage, and, and these people have, I think it was Assyrians at this time when it was written, that's when Isaiah was dealing with the Assyrians, uh, they were putting the children of Israel into bondage, and what he's saying is that yoke being yoked with Assyria as their slaves, you know, tribute and all the things you have to do. It's a heavy thing. It's a burden. It's a yoke. But that anointing will destroy it. In other words, that anointing will stop that, that, that enemy uh, army, that enemy that is putting you in bondage and going to make you free so that you're free from that heavy burden so that you don't have to walk in unity with Assyria, but you can walk in unity with God's plan not a Syrian's plan. So we see there are yokes that are bad yokes that the anointing will break and destroy. But then there are yokes that are good yokes because Jesus said, take my yoke, which means he has a yoke. Are you with me? I'll give you rest. Learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest into your souls. Rest is mentioned twice. For my yoke is easy and my burden is that. So you're going to have a yoke. And you're going to have a burden. But the burden, in other words, responsibility. 
There's things you got to do. You can't just cast off restraint and sit in a hammock for the rest of your life. There is responsibilities. You are a beast of burden. You have a job to do for Jesus. But that job with the responsibility is supposed to be easy. And if you're yoked to the word and yoked to Jesus, you're going at the same pace as him. And it's supposed to be easy and light. It's not supposed to be grievous. It's not supposed to be tormented and tiring and wearying all the time. Because they come unto me all that are labor and heavy and fatigued and heavy laden and overwhelmed. I want to give you something called rest. Now, then he said, go over to Hebrews chapter 4. And I want you to look with me in Hebrews chapter 4. And uh, would you mind, please, uh, Peter or whoever is back there, just type out in the King James Version, Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Okay, and put that on the screen so we have it for reference as we're talking about Hebrews 4. Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30 in the King James Version. Put that on the screen when you can, please. Now, Hebrews chapter 4, if you'd be so kind. And, and we're going to read it from a couple different translations. But let's start with verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left, left us of entering into his rest, of any of you would come short of it. Uh, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, the Israelites. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which, have ent- which believed, 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 do enter into rest. Okay? I want you to, uh, if you have a highlighter or whatever, highlight, that's an important phrase. For we which have believed do enter into rest. Now I want you to go down. There's lots more that's said, but for sake of time, we don't need to necessarily explain everything. I could, but it's not necessary for the point of the sermon tonight. Okay, verse 9. So, so verse 3 is very important. For we which have believed do enter into rest. So faith, are you listening? Faith is required for rest. Whatever you're struggling with tonight, if you're feeling non-rest, I don't just mean in your physical body, because you sleep and you, you know, I'm talking about you're buffeted with tribulation, tests and trials. The enemy is attacking your mind. He's attacking your finances, attacking your health, attacking your marriage, attacking different things. You're worried about things. You feel pressure about things. To get rid of that, you're going to have to believe to enter into rest. Because there is a rest for you. Are you with me? Now, uh, look at, please, down in verse uh, 9. For there remaineth therefore, thank you, put all, put all of them up in a row, please. For there, all three verses, 28, 29, and 30. For there remaineth, verse 9, therefore a rest to the people of God. Mm-hmm. Yes. In other words, he's saying there is rest for you. Yes. Amen. So, so <laughs> you can't say to God, Lord, I never had any rest and I kept looking at you, but you never gave me any rest. No, there remains a rest for you. You just got to figure out how to get it, but it is there. For now watch verse 10, for he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us therefore labor to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. In other words, unbelief, you can't enter rest, but if you believe, verse 3, you'll enter into rest. Now, notice it says labor to enter into rest. Though it seems like an oxymoronic statement because it's talking about rest, now it's talking about labor. What it means is there's got to be a zealousness. There's got to be an intention. You've got to, there, there's, there's got to be effort made. I'm trying to, let's pay, you've got to stay with me tonight. There's effort required to enter into rest. Don't tell me you want rest from the buffeting if you're not willing to exert labor. Because God doesn't want you to labor in a way that is heavy laden and laborsome where you're exhausted. 
but he does want you to labor. He wants you to exert effort to enter into this rest. For there is a rest for the people of God. It's there for you. It's there for me. He wants us to be in rest. No matter what is happening in our life, he wants us to have a divine peace and a divine rest and a divine lightness about us. No matter what we're facing, believe me, my wife and I have gone through it and are going through it in many different areas. And I'm telling you, we are not there yet, but we are learning to become skillful with peace in the midst of storms. And now we speak to that storm. That's when you get in the spirit, use your dominion. But when you're still being buffeted, there is a rest that you can enter into when everything else looks like it's not working. When you feel pressure, when you feel oppressed, when you feel, I can't do this. This is too much. This darkness is so thick. There is a rest. Now, one of the strategies, get in the spirit, use your dominion. That's not the strategy I'm talking about tonight. That's a strategy we talked about then. So don't ignore one and only take the other. Come on, guys, put it up there, please. It shouldn't take that long. Verse 28 to 30, Matthew 11. Put it up there, please. Now, I want you to look at some of these verses from another translation, please. Look at it, please, with me from the Amplified. Are you in Hebrews chapter 4? Now, if you don't have the Amplified, let me just read it to you. Hebrews chapter 4. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just start in verse 9, and I want to read it to you from the Amplified, and I want you to listen now. For then there is still awaiting a full and complete Sabbath rest reserved for the true people of God. For he who has once entered God's rest has also ceased from his, now the King James says labors, but the Amplified says from his weariness and pain. Let me read it. For he who has once entered God's rest has also ceased from the weariness and pain of human labors, just as God rested from those labors peculiarly on his own. Let us therefore be zealous and exert ourselves. It says labor and enter into rest, but really what that means is show effort. Let us be zealous and exert ourselves and strive diligently to enter that rest of God to know and experience it for ourselves that no one may fall or perish by the same kind of unbelief and disobedience into which those in the wilderness fell. So, so we, we see with different words, you can see it said a different way. He's saying there is a rest for you. But you've got to exert effort. There's got to be zealousness, diligence, striving to enter into that rest. You with me? You still with me? Good. So just we're going to refer back to that in a minute, but just keep reading with me here. Now, I want to read this from the Passion Translation, uh, Hebrews 4, verse 9. For we conclude that there is still a full and complete Sabbath rest waiting for believers to experience. As we enter into God's faith rest life, we cease from our own works, just as God celebrates his finished works and rests in them. Now, remember, the King Amplified says that we cease from our weariness and pain of human labors. Okay? So then we must be eager, is what the Passion Word says. Eager. The, King, the Amplified said, said strive. It said zealous. Now, we must be eager to experience this faith rest life so that no one falls short by following the same pattern of doubt and unbelief, referring to them in the wilderness. So we see here these scriptures are talking about rest. We've learned a few things. Number one, verse three, that you enter in by, by believing. You have to believe. You have to have faith. Now we see another thing is that it, it does exist for the people of God. And the, and the reason you're not in it is because you've got pain and weariness of human labor. Isn't that what Jesus said? 
Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. That's the pain and weariness of human labors. These verses, they're like twin verses. Matthew 11 and Hebrews 4, they go together. Jesus said this under the old covenant, but this is now written under the new covenant. But they go together. Jesus is saying, you've got a heavy burden. You've got a heavy labor. Now, the author of Hebrews is saying, your human toil and labors are, are weariness and pain. But there is rest available, Hebrews says to you. It's available, but you've got to enter in by believing. And you're going to have to exert some effort. But if you'll exert some effort, you're going to enter this thing. Now, Jesus says, it's, it's not, they're not in comparison, they're not in competition, they're, they're, they're equaling each other. Jesus said the same thing. There's a heaviness. But I want to give you this rest. But now watch this. Take my yoke upon you. Remember now, interpret scripture with scripture. Hebrews says there's a labor. There's an exerting of effort. There's a zealousness. There's an effort that must be exerted to enter into that rest. Now, what does Jesus say? Take my yoke upon you. Yoke. What is yoke? There is, yoke is something you are working. You are yoked with him, but you're still working. He didn't say take a vacation. He said you're still going to have to work. This is the, it's going to take effort to get into that rest. This is the yoke that we need to get into that rest, Jenny. Now take my yoke upon you and learn of me from meek and lowly in heart and you'll find that rest. For this yoke, this labor that I'm giving you is easy and my burden is light. Are you with me? Then I know this already. This is not new for me. But then I, then I heard the Holy Ghost say, because he's my teacher, my capital T teacher. He's yours too, by the way. If you listen to him, he'll teach you the Bible. I, I know all this. I've preached this before. This is not new for me. So I'm like, yeah, Lord, I know all that. That's good. Um, I'll, I'll do that. That's fine. I'll remind them about all that stuff. And then he's, he's so patient. Like, he looks at me, must just shake his head sometimes. Say, what a, what a guy. Thinks he knows everything. You know how we dismissive? I know that, Lord. Just move on. And he said, go, go back to Hebrews. I want to show you something. So I went back to Hebrews. And I read it again. He said, read it again. So I read it again. There remaineth there a rest of the people of God, for he has entered into his rest, has also ceased from his own works, as God does, and let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall into the same example of unbelief. And then he says, why do you always stop there? That's the truth. I always stop there. I never read the next verse, because the next verse is like another kind of a thing. This is the famous, for the word of God is powerful and alive and act is sharp and then a two-edged sword piercing the thunder. I mean, this is like one of my favorite verses. It's got nothing to do with verse 11. So I never, I always keep this in a separate drawer. I never, ever preach this con, con, all the way through. Never have. He said to me, why do you stop? I said, because this verse got nothing to do with what we just read. This is the powerful verse about the Bible. He said, read it and don't stop. Let us therefore labor to enter into that rest. Lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief, for the word of God is quick and powerful. Uh, okay, I didn't really see it there, Lord. So I went to another translation. I still didn't see what he was trying to tell me. Let me read it from the Passion. So then we must be eager to experience this faith rest life so that no one falls short by following the same pattern of doubt and unbelief. For we have the living word. Now you see, the, the, the King James simply just says, for the word of God. 
it does it kind of makes it disconnected sure. in my mind at least but the passion says for for is a connector word from verse 11 to verse 12. in other words don't it's connected what he's talked about in verse 11 is continuing into verse 12 now and he says for we have Oh, see, that's far more accurate to the Greek than what the King James says. It just says, for the word is. Now, for we have is different. What is he saying? I want you, let's read that from the King James now in a different way. Let us therefore labor to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of disbelief, for we have the word of God. Totally different emphasis. In other words, he's saying, I want you to labor into that rest which you got to do with faith because the ones with unbelief couldn't get there because you've got the word. Because you've got the word. And then I heard the Holy Ghost, Pastor Happy, so sweet to me. He said, now go back to Matthew 11 and read it again. We read so fast. He reads so fast. We read so fast. You're trying to rush to get the scripture under your belt so you can mark it down on your journal. But you miss it. He said, go back and read it again. Come unto me, all you. He said, Stop. I'm telling the Holy Ghost talks to me just like that. I'm not lying to you. Come unto me, all you that let's stop. He said, Read it again. Come unto me, all you that stop. Read it again. Slowly. Come unto me. Notice there's a comma there. I ignore the commas. Come unto me, all you that labor, stop. Come unto me. Come unto me. He said, who am I? I said, you're the word. For the word was with God and the word was God. John chapter one. I'm the word. When I said, come unto me, I'm saying, come unto the word. So when you're laboring and you're heavy laden and you're buffeted and you want rest and you've got to enter, enter with zeal, effort to get into that rest. How do you get that rest? You've got to come unto the word. Come unto the word. And there's an effort, there's an effort to study the word. Yeah. But when you study the word, look at this, learn of me. Who's me? The word. Learn of the word. Take my yoke upon you. In other words, there's still work involved. Yoke equals work. But there's bad work and good work. Not all work is bad, but just the heavy laden work is bad. But, and that's what they had in Isaiah, that the yoke anointing destroyed that kind of yoke. But he said, I've got a yoke. I've got, I've got work for you to do. So he says, take my yoke. That's work. There is an effort exerted to enter into this rest. That effort is studying the word. You're buffeted. Don't just pig out on ice cream and binge watch Netflix. Make effort into going to the word. Because the yoke or the work that you are supposed to do is studying this book. And all 66 sub books. Come unto the word, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I want you to have rest, boys. Take my yoke. Do some work now. I'm interpreting scripture with scripture. Remember, you have to be earnest, zealous, and exert effort to enter into that rest. Labor to enter into this. Labor is the yoke. Take my work, work by studying the word and learn of the word. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Then he repeats about the rest thing. But listen, uh, and this he said to me, he said, now you know what meekness means? I said, yes, Lord, I know that's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Meekness does not mean humility. 
Meekness is not humility. Meekness is an attitude inside, and it, and it really it displays itself by how you treat other people. Meekness is how you treat people. Humility, on the other hand, lowliness of heart is humility. That is your, how you look at yourself and how you humble yourself before God. But meekness is an attitude of the heart, of gentleness, and how you treat other people. And, and I said to myself, listen, I'm trying to help you. I said, Lord, why did you put the word meek there? Because it doesn't really make any sense in that context. If I'm coming to the word... And I'm putting effort in to study the word so I can enter into that rest. And I'm learning of the word. I have to have a humble heart to, know the, to understand the word. I can't think I know everything. So the lowly in heart thing makes sense. But why on earth would you put meekness in there? Meekness has got nothing to do with me learning the word. And he answered me. He said, because half of the trouble that you face in life is because of other people. Most of the buffeting we face is somehow connected to other human beings. A lot is connected to demons, but some is connected to people influenced by demons. Others is just connected to our family. There can be a buffeting from a lot of different angles, and much of it, not all of it, is from humans. Let's just, put up, let's just be honest. We, are you being buffeted by, the, by, the, by physical wind and crickets and snakes? Not really. Right? You're not being buffeted by the earth and the animal kingdom. But you are being buffeted by people, and you're being buffeted by the devil. And meekness of heart, as you're studying and learning what God says about your situation, he doesn't just want you to be humble inside to learn of him, but he wants you, as you're studying and relating to other people, he wants the way you treat those people to be appropriate. Because that is going to affect whether you enter into rest or not. How you treat other people when you're going through a hard time will either accelerate or hinder the rest that comes into your life. You can't mistreat people and expect rest to come into your life. Well, I'm, don't you know what I'm going through? This is, you know, I, don't you know what I'm going through? So therefore, it doesn't work that way. Meekness is a part of rest. How you treat others when you're going through a hard time matters to God. How you humble yourself to learn the word matters to God. But I'd never really seen it from that perspective because I read so fast. He said, slow down. Come unto me. Come unto my word. All ye that are labor, heavy burden, the weakness and the, the weariness and pain of human toil. I want to give you the rest that you need. Take my yoke. Uh, I, you're going to have to work for this a bit, son. I want you to learn of the Bible, learn of the word. Make sure you guard how you're treating others and make sure you guard your own heart because if you don't, you're not going to learn of me and you're going to find rest. For my yoke is easy. We'll get to that in a second. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me just say this about the verse 30. The Assyrian yoke was not easy and the Assyrian burden was not light. So what took the burden off their shoulders and what broke the yoke? Speak to me. I just read it to you, the anointing. So when you have a heavy number, we're talking about heavy labor, burdensome. When you're being attacked, when your yoke is was heavy and burdensome, when you're heavy laden, when you are, have weariness and pain, pain, pain by human toil, Jesus wants to remove that. He wants to give you his flow, 
not that flow. But the anointing is what breaks that flow. The anointing breaks the yoke, destroys the yoke and removes bondage. Now Jesus says, so basically you interpret scripture with scripture. He's saying, now if you're going to take his yoke, which is easy, means the anointing had to break the Assyrian yoke, which was hard. If you're going to take his burden, which is light, it means the anointing removed the Assyrian yoke or the whatever you're buffeting you're facing. It, it, the anointing isn't required to remove that for you to step into the flow of Jesus. But there is this stuff you've got to come to him. You can't run from him. Well, I'm having a hard day. I won't go to church. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. The very one place you should be when you've had a hard day is in the house. In your prayer closet. Not giving up, not cussing, not losing self-control. Not freaking out on everybody because you've had a bad day. I'm talking real practical here. Because there's a wide curve and a wide range of this. Sometimes we have a heavy burden and a heavy yoke and we have all this toil and pain, but it's just relatively small. Other times it feels like we, we don't even want to live anymore. And there's a wide range in the human experience of all of this. But no matter where you're at in that, the Lord was trying to help me with something because of the tests and trials Jenny and I face at times. He was trying to help me to be more skillful. One area is Sunday morning, get in the spirit, deal with your authority. But another area, another area, which is just as powerful, but it's different. It's not, he's not talking about praying, getting in the spirit and commanding. He's talking about sitting, opening your Bible and coming to the Lord, to the word at the time of pain, weariness, toil, heavy burdens, the Assyrian yoke that you feel is crushing you. Can you see all the parallels between Isaiah 10, Matthew 11 and Hebrews 4? You've got the same thing said. That yoke is burdensome. He said that labor is heavy laden. Hebrews 4 says that's the weariness and pain of human toil. You're under the barrel. But I want you to come to me. Come to the word. You see, see that now? Then he said, and I see he had to get my mind renewed on that. Then he said, now go back to Hebrews 4. Remember he told me, why do you stop reading? So then he said, go back to Hebrews 4. So I said, okay. And I read now, let us therefore labor. That's the toil, the good toil. That's take my yoke, energy, effort, exerted, zealousness to enter into that rest. Lest we, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For we have the word. Do you see it? Come unto me. Come unto the word. The answer is right here. I always separated for some reason because I've never really thought verse 12 had anything to do with verse 11. Almost seems like it should be in another chapter. But notice what the author of Hebrews is, is he puts that scripture right smack dab in the middle of this rest dialogue. Why? What's he saying? Jesus said, you having a hard time? Come to me. What's Hebrews saying? You having a hard time? Here's the word. Jesus is saying, you having a tough time? Come to the word. What's Hebrews saying? You're going to have to put effort into this. Well, what's the effort? For we have the word. This is the word. This is what we, this is our answer. For we have the word. Remember the passion says, for we have the word. Are you with me? Now, can I read it a little bit? Are you still with me? Can I read a little bit from the Passion? Because it explains the Greek and the Aramaic a little bit better than the, than, than the other translation does. Now watch. Now, so then we must be eager to experience, verse 11, this faith rest life, blah, blah, blah. Now, that's the effort. 
for we have the living word. Jesus said, come unto me. This is the answer. It's the same thing written in a different way. For we have the living word of God, which is full of energy. Now, the King James says, for we have the word of God, which is quick, which means alive. The word quick means alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word powerful means operative or active. This is really one of the only verses in the entire Bible, Hebrews 4.12, that is talking about the word being logos and rhema in the same verse. Because the word, we have the word, that word is logos, which is just the, the written word. But this verse is an amazing verse because it's saying the, the written word, the logos word, but then it describes when the logos word, what happens to the logos word for it to become a rhema word. Because when you've got the logos, but it becomes quick, it turns into rhema. In other words, it becomes alive. When it becomes operational or active or effectual, that, that's what that word powerful means. It goes from written to alive inside you. That's rhema. When it says sharper than any two-edged sword, it means it was written, it's kind of just a, a scripture. It doesn't mean much, it's dull. But when it becomes alive unto you, when the Holy Ghost quickens it inside of you, it goes from just a scripture to a rhema, living, powerful, alive, active, warfaring word that's like a sword. It's the only scripture I've ever found in the Bible that talks about logos that turns into rhema in the same scripture. Other verses say logos, and then other scriptures only talk about rhema, but this one is talking about both. And it's the descriptive words are about the rhema product from the logos word. But I, so I want you to notice that the picture here is the word is, is alive. It's literally, in the, in the Greek, it means to pour into or to light as a flame. In other words, the word is living and it's like fire. That's what, that's what you get here from the Greek. But the passion tells you something about the Aramaic. The Aramaic is the language Jesus spoke. The Greek is what it was translated into. So the Greek talks about the living word, the active word. It's poured in. It's uttered to you. That's what rhema means. It's spoken. It's alive to you. It's like a fire. It's like a spark. That's what the Greek says. But the Aramaic says something a little bit even cooler, which is the language that Jesus spoke. What that means here when it says, for the word of God is quick and powerful. Now, the, the passion says, for the word of God has full of energy. Now, that word in the Aramaic language means, for the word of God is all effective. But here's the picture, because Aramaic is a picture language, just like the Greek is. You know what the picture is? The picture language for this word, for the word of God is alive and powerful. The picture in the Aramaic is the spinning sword of fire held by the angel guarding the way to the tree of life. Remember God said an angel there, a cherubim with a spinning fiery sword. So Adam and Eve couldn't keep eating that. They, they wouldn't eat that fruit and continue to live forever. Do you remember that? They touched the knowledge of good and evil, but they were eating of the tree of life. That's why they lived all that time. They lived long because of the tree of life. Now, they, they, sin has come. Judgment, they have to die. So they can't keep eating of that fruit. So that angel with the spinning fire sword stop, blocks their way. But I want you to notice that this is a symbol because cherubim always guard the way to things of God. Cherubim guard the way to the holy of holies. 
Cherubim guard the way to the throne of God. Cherubim guard the way to the Ark of the Covenant. Cherubim guard the way to the Tree of Life. So it's, it's a very powerful parable or parallel. It's, it says in the Aramaic, for the Word of God, remember the Bible says in, Hebrew, in, in, in Ephesians 6, for the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. So sword represents word in the Bible from Ephesians 6. But this word, the word is alive and powerful, quick and active. It means in the Greek, it means to be poured in and to be ignited fire. But in the Aramaic, it, the picture is the fiery spinning sword. Remember, the word is a sword. It's a spinning fire sword of the cherubim. Listen now, guarding the way to life. Now, there's a second picture in the Aramaic for this phrase of the living, powerful word. And that is the fire sword on the way to the Holy of Holies. When the veil was split in two, the cherubim embroidered on the veil, parted, as it were to allow every worshiper to enter into the unveiled, accessible presence of God. In the Holy of Holies, there were cherubim covering the ark. But there were also, if you study the Bible, two cherubim standing with swords. And on the veil, remember that big thick thing that was blocking that the high priest entered once a year? That very thick, huge, 60 feet tall. It's massive, very thick. Remember it was ripped when Jesus died. The angels of God ripped it. But that, on that veil, there was embroidered two cherubim with flaming sword. So when people would look at that, they would see, I can't get to God because there's cherubim with fire swords blocking me. But the high priest would part it once a year to come into that place with blood. Do you understand that? So there's a symbol here. The fire spinning sword protected the way to the tree of life. The fire spinning sword embroidered on the veil protected the way into the holy of holies. Are you with me? The word. Are you listening? This is very powerful. The word protected the way. Because the word is the sword. The revelation of the word guarded the way. But because of Jesus opens the way. Because the veil is Parted, and we have access to come. And what this is saying here is very powerful. You have problems? You have labors? Here's the word. For we have the word. You have problems? Come unto the word. I'm going to give you the rest you need, but you've got to come to the word. The word is the answer for everything. Now, I'm trying to help you understand it. You have, you have issues. Uh, come to the word. For the word is that fire spinning powerful sword that, now watch now, just as it blocked the way to the life, as it blocked the way to the Holy of Holies, so, but it also, because of Jesus, opened. It, 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 the way was opened. They weren't blocking the way anymore because of the blood. So the word gets us, we go into the Holy of Holies. We go into the place where we get our help. Through the revelation, through the fire, because a fire spinning is representative of revelation. The, the sword laying down represents the logos, the written, but the sword fiery spinning represents the revelation of that word in your heart. 
But that word, you have a problem? Here's the word. Now get revelation in the word because the blood of Jesus through that word gets you access to the Holy of Holies, to the tree of life. And what do we see that in Hebrews? Obviously, it has to be written somewhere in here. It wouldn't make sense. So go down, please, right to the bottom of, that, of, the, of the 16th verse. So now draw near freely and boldly to the throne, the throne where God is enthroned, which is the holy of holies, the throne of grace. What is the grace? It's another definition of it is the anointing. When the grace of God comes on you, the anointing of God comes on you. What destroys the yoke? The anointing. What destroys the yoke? The grace. You want to get to the holy place, the throne of God, the throne of grace, where you will find mercy and grace to help you and give you rest in time of need? You've got to go through the word. The word, the spinning, flaming sword parted because of the blood. At first it kept them out. But now because of Jesus, the revelation of the word doesn't keep us out. It brings us in. Now I can go into the Holy of Holies. This Hebrew scripture is a powerful, if you read it and understand it, it's a powerful, what it's really saying in layman's terms is there is a rest for you. But you're going to have to work a little bit. You're working in the wrong way. That's why you're heavy. But I want you to work in the right way. What is that work? The word. Get into the word. The word will become alive unto you. The word will become a flaming sword unto you. The word will become powerful unto you. And it is that thing, when you've got that in you, it's going to bring you right into the throne room of God. Just like the sword kept them out of the throne room of God. But when Jesus came, the veil parted and gave access. So now you've got a problem. Get the word in you. The word, because of the blood, is going to part the way and you're going to go right into that throne of grace. And you're going to say, Father, I have these issues. I have these troubles. But your word says. And he's going to say, here's the, listen, here's the grace. Remember, that we'll find grace in time of need. Here's the grace, here's the anointing to break that yoke and destroy that yoke. And now here's the grace for you to walk in my easy yoke and my blight burden. It's a powerful, it's a powerful image. Now, there's another, there's another aspect that I, I want to bring out here of verse 12. Praise God. I'm just, he emphasizing so much more to me. You're going through a hard time, son? Come to me. Don't run from me. You're going through a hard time? Get to my word. Get to my word. My word's your answer. My word's your answer. My word, preach under anointing from an office at church. My word in your prayer closet, in your study closet. My word. In any capacity that you can find it, my word. You have a problem? Come to me. Come to my word. You, you want to you work at something? Not human toil, that's what we're trying to get rid of. But you want to work at something, laboring into rest, for you have the word. Now get the word. Now listen, why? Because the word is alive. Don't just read the scripture. You read the scripture until the laying down sword becomes a spinning fire in your heart. You read the scripture until the logos turns to rhema. You read the scripture until it's poured into you, it's ignited in you, and it becomes alive and active and powerful. Are you with me? Now, you see how it says a double-edged sword, two-edged sword? 
I, I, I did a study on that, and I found this uh, very interesting. Uh, do you know that uh, the Aramaic doesn't actually say double-edged sword? It says two-mouthed sword. The two-mouthed sword. In other words, a sword with two edges. Another way you can look at that is a sword with two mouths. You know what that represents? God spoke his word, one edge. We return the spoken word, the other edge. God mouthed it. We mouth it. This is the two-edged, two-mouthed sword. When I come to the word... And it's lying down, but it becomes a spinning fire. It becomes alive and rhema to me. Notice it said it's alive and active before it says it's two-edged. Are you listening to me? Notice it says it's alive and active before it says it's two-edged. Because you've got to get revelation into the word. It's got to start spinning in you like a fire sword. Not just lying on the table like a logos it's going to start to, you're going to start to see it. I see that, Lord. I see that, Lord. That's revelation. Now, when that happens, what do you do? Speak. When it becomes alive and active, it turns from logos to rhema, the next automatic step for the human being that has revelation into the word or rhema is to speak that revelation. That's why it becomes alive and active, and then it's two-mouthed. You see it. I see that. Now begin to say it. I see about my healing. Now begin to confess it. I see about my, my, my financial breakthrough. Now begin to say it. You got a problem? Labor to get into the word. Show effort to get into the word. Because the word's going to become alive unto you like a spinning sword. And then you're going to start to speak it. <laughs> and it's not going to keep you out. It's going to get you in. Because in the Old Testament, without the blood, they were kept out. The spinning sword kept them out. But now that Jesus, the veil has parted. Now with Jesus, the revelation of the word brings us in to the presence of God. Father, I'm going through something. Instead of whining and crying and running, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to come to the word. And I'm going to put some effort in this word. I put a lot of effort into worrying. I put a lot of effort into my calculator to try to figure out this and that and everything else financially. I put a lot of effort into everything else that I do, mainly worrying, but I'm going to put some effort into studying your word because I'm going to labor and do effort and take your yoke, your work upon me so I can enter into that rest. But how's it going to come? The rest is on the other side of the word. I've got to get into the word. The word is to become alive in me. The word is to become rhema in me. And I've got to start to speak that word. I've got to start to confess that word. And as I do that, what happens? You keep reading in Hebrews. What happens is as you're speaking that word, it's also going to start judging. This is very powerful because the Bible doesn't just say that you're going to speak it. It says it will even penetrate to the very core of our being where our soul and spirit, bone and marrow meet. And it will interpret and reveal the true thoughts and secret motives of the heart. Because when you're going through a trouble and God's trying to get you into rest, sometimes he's going to deal with the very depths of you. Sometimes he's going to deal with the core of you. Sometimes he's going to show you where you've got a wrong attitude about something. Sometimes he's going to show you where your motive is askew, where the intents of your heart are perverted. Are you listening to me? Don't think you're all that. 
because there's a lot of stuff in us that's not so good. And a lot of the reason we have the problem to begin with is because something's wrong deep inside. And he's saying to me, listen, boy, listen to me. You got all this trouble, come to me. You got all this human toilers and weariness and pain. I want you to, I want you to have my rest, but you've got you've you've to exert effort. So come to my word, come to me, come to my word. And I want you to study that, put effort into it. Effort! It takes effort to study the word. It takes concentration. You can't just do it. It doesn't just fall upon you like ripe apples off a tree. You've actually got to read. You've got to pray in the Holy Ghost. You've got to go back and read again. You've got to go look at the original. You've got to pray, do it again. You've got to look at the Strong's. You've got to do it again. It's not for the faint of heart. That's why he said put effort. Exert labor to enter into that rest. That's why he said take my yoke. Work a little bit. But it's not heavy, but it does take effort to study the word. Now you've got the word, you're studying the word, and what happens? It becomes alive. And you see it. Now what do you do? You start speaking it because it's two-edged. It's two-mouthed. And now as you're speaking it, brother, what God does is he, does, he goes with his little laser, and he goes and he says, now, now listen, but you've got to have a lowly heart for this. And you've got to treat other people right. You can't be sapping everybody around. You'll stop the surgery. But God will go in you. People don't like this preaching, but this saved your life. He'll go in you with his little laser thing, and you'll say, now, uh, why are you doing it that way? Um, what's your real motive about this? I don't like something. I see a little black dot in that heart of yours. Why do you think this? What's your real reason for doing this? You see, as you're in the Word with revelation and, and you're speaking it, the Holy Ghost who works with the Word goes real deep inside of you and He checks out the innards. He checks your soul from your spiritual bone, from your marrow. He's looking at the motives and intentions and thoughts of your heart. He's dealing with you on a very core level. But when, that, when, when He's done that job, what happens is because you're in the Word and you're in the Spirit, and the blood of Jesus, now that veil is parted. We're not kept out. The Word does not keep us out. It kept the Old Testament out. But the Word welcomes us in because of the blood of Jesus. So now what they were kept out, now the veil is separated. Now we're not worried. That flaming, that revelation in us drives us forward. And we enter into something called the throne of grace. And we say, we stand before him and we say, Father, uh, I'm, I'm here and I've come to your throne of grace. What is grace? Also the anointing. I've come to the place of the anointing. I've come to your throne of grace and help in my time of need because I'm being buffeted and I've got all this weary and heavy laden stuff on me. But I'm here now. Now, Father, I didn't run away from you. I ran to you. I got on your word. I've got revelation. I'm speaking it. I'm dealing with heart motives and you've brought me right into your throne room. <laughs> called the throne of grace or the throne of the anointing. I've come right to the place of power. Are you with me? Now, when you're there, what happens? The anointing, the grace destroys the heavy burden that you're under. It destroys, it lifts the burden off you. And what it does is it puts on you, because you still can't be lazy, you still got a job to do in this earth, but it puts on you his yoke, his job description, his flow, his way of doing things, and his burden, his responsibility. But even though it's important, it's still light. That anointing in the throne of grace breaks that toil and that pain. And it puts in you the light flow 
yet you're still fulfilling your divine responsibilities in the earth. Now, I've never really seen that before because I've read it so quickly. I've read this thousands of times, but I've never read it, read it slow enough to really see that this verse and Hebrews 4 are parallel verses. This verse is saying, I want to give you rest, but you've got to come to me. You've got to learn. You've got to have a humble heart. I'm going to give you the stuff you need. What does Hebrews say? There's a rest for you. But you enter in by what? Believing. How do you get believing? How do you get faith? The Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. So the rest comes from the faith, which comes from the Word. And I know you've got all this toil and labor on you, but I need you to exert some effort. And what with what? Here's the Word. Study the Word. And it's going to take you from logos into an alive, fiery, powerful Word that you're going to start to speak. And that's going to clean out your innards. And you're going to come into the throne of grace, the throne of the anointing, and the grace and the anointing is going to break off all that Assyrian burden off you. And it's going to fill you with a new yoke and a new burden. Jesus' way of doing things, His process, His way of life. You still got to do stuff in this earth, but you're going to do it easy. You still got responsibilities. You're still a, a burden. You're still a, you're still a, you're a burro. You're a, you're a, you're a donkey. You're still a beast of burden, but the burden's going to be light. You still got a job to do. You know, beasts of burden, their job is to carry things. Where our job is to carry the glory of God into this earth. Our job is to win souls. Our job is to believe God for this, that, and everything else. We still have job descriptions, but we can do it light. We can do it easy. Not always broken down, overstressed, overworried, exhausted, tired, on the edge of frazzlehood, yeah. frenzy. No, no. What's the answer, Jenny? Not whining. Are you listening to me? Not counseling sessions. Yeah. The answer doesn't come in counseling sessions. The answer comes with the word. Amen. When Jesus said, Wayne, you're going through a hard thing? What's the answer? But you see, when we read that, we're like, okay, well, okay, I'm going to come to Jesus. What does even that mean? Like, it sounds poetic. I'm going to come to Jesus. But what does that mean? Jesus is in heaven. How am I supposed to come to him? What is that? If you interpret scripture with scripture, Jesus is the word the made flesh that dwelt among us. He's still the word. So when he says, come to me, he's saying, come to my word. Uh, you're going to have to work a little bit. My yoke is work. You're going to have to exert effort. Remember Hebrews? You're going to have to show some zeal. But if you do that, I'm going to take my word and it's going to just be a normal, boring scripture to you. That's called the sword lying down on the table. And it's going to become a light, fiery saber inside your heart that's spinning. It's going to become alive to you. You're going to see scripture that you've never seen before. And you're going to go, whoa, my God, I see that. That's called rhema. Immediately start to speak it. Start to double mouth it. Start to double sword edge it. Start to say it. And as you say it, surgery is happening on the inside of you. And as surgery is happening, he's judging your heart. He's judging your inner motives. He's judging your meekness. How you treat people. How snobby you are how prickly you are, how racist you are, how proud you are. He's judging all of that as this word is working in you. But where does it take you? Right into the throne of grace. Right to the tree of life. Right to the holy of holies. It doesn't keep you out. It brings you in. Glory to God. And you get there to the place of God's anointing. And he says, now my word's done such a work in you, you're ready. 
Now here's the anointing to break that thing off you, to destroy that yoke, and here's my flow, my yoke, my burden. Now you're going to go and do it, but it's going to be light and easy for you, son. And you leave that throne of grace, and you're stronger, and you're wiser, and you're treating people better, and you've learned some things, and patience has come because kind of all joy when you face tests and trials because it produces patience because all of this is a process. It doesn't always happen instantly. Do you understand? I'm trying to extrapolate, stretch out the process for you between Matthew 11 and Hebrews 4 so you can see that the answer to everything you'll ever need is found in that book. But you've got to study that book and show yourself approved unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth. And you've got to get it from boring scripture to a live revelation. And that alive revelation must be spoken and your heart cleansed and then the anointing comes on you. That burden and that heaviness and trial is broken off you and a lightness comes and a joy comes and an ease comes and you leave God's presence and you go throughout your day saying, my God, I got it. I'm in the joy flow. I'm in the light and easy flow. I'm being buffeted, but it's not getting inside me because the word's inside me. I'm coming to the Lord. I'm not running to the psychiatrist. I'm coming to Jesus. Hallelujah. This is blessed my socks off. I come to Jesus. I come to the word. Love the word. My brother and sister, you got to fall in love with the word again. It's not just a book. It's God's breathed words. Well, people wrote it as inspired by the Holy Ghost. They wrote it, which means he wrote it, which means Paul didn't write this. The Holy Ghost wrote this through him. It means when you read it, it's alive to you. I'll end 901. Perfect timing. I'll end with this thing. They told me this when I was in Burma with Christopher Allen. One of the the ministers there was talking to us. (laughs) They bring the where he lives. They bring uh, his little town. There's assassins that come from all over the world to that one town. Do you know why? Because the best poison maker on the planet lives in that town. And they are so skilled at making poison. They can make poisons, Taylor. One drop in a glass of water kill you. And they'll never find out why. And people pay millions of dollars mob organizations, the cartels, they pay millions of dollars and people come from all over the world to that place because that guy, he's into witchcraft and he has demonic wisdom and he makes these poisons and and he sells them to people. They have poisons that you put half a drop on the skin, they're dead in 12 hours and you can't figure out why. So anyway, that man, no, that preacher who's in charge of that whole region, remember Jenny? Oh, you weren't with me, were you? But I told you about, he's a very sweet man, very humble man. He actually wrote a book. There's a, he's got a book about his life. He used to be a, he was set apart from that witch, witchcraft from a child, but he got born again. And, uh, and so uh, he preaches, and of course, those people don't like it. So, so they, they uh, so the guy that makes the, the guy that makes the poisons decided to assassinate the preacher. And so there was wind of that through his ministerial ranks. And they said, Pastor, you've got you to gotta move. They've got, a death, they've got a death threat out on you. Your name's on a death list. When your name's on the death list, it means they're coming for you, buddy. Yeah. And they're so skillful and sly. You die, you don't even know how you died. Yeah. You don't even know what you ate. And so he said, uh, you've got to go. And that pastor said, no. 
He said, because I've got the blood. And so they will let us check your food before you eat it. He said, what? So that you'll die. So he just covered that food with the blood. Every time he drank, he just, because he doesn't know what's in it. He just said, I applied the blood to you. I applied the blood to you. I need to eat. And, and there was confirmed assassination attempts where they had poisoned his food. Nothing would happen. And then, of course, in witchcraft, I don't want to get into it, but they, they, if they get a piece of your, anything you own, but if it's organic, it works better in the witchcraft ceremony. So a piece of nail, a piece of dead skin, hair works very well, eyelashes, and they do these magic things with it, and sickness comes on the person and kills them. So what they do is they have to sweep the rooms of the ministers before they leave. Vacuum, I mean, very intense, because any hair... The witch doctors will come and find it and try to put curses on them. So they said, Pastor, you can't, you can't leave until we've vacuumed everything. And, you know, like they have these little hazmat suits. I mean, you think this is a joke. This is real. This actually happens. So he says, what are you doing? Well, we have to do this because they're coming. They hate you. You're on the death list. <laughs> he says, don't worry about that. So he leaves his hairbrush on purpose full of hair. Let me help them. Here. You don't even have to look for the hair. Here it is. And they come and they take it, whatever they do with it, whatever they do, whatever their nonsense is. And, 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 and the poor guy doesn't die. And they can't understand why he won't die. He had such revelation of his dominion. He had such revelation of the word, the power of the word. Because when he would speak, like, you guys, we're, you're afraid of COVID. What would you do with a witch doctor that got your hair? No, I'm serious. It's a whole nother realm over there. It's a whole nother realm over there. They mock us. You Americans. No, they do. They mock us. You guys, you don't even understand what faith is. We live with witch doctors trying to kill us on a daily basis. And here you are worried about a COVID germ? They honestly think we're ridiculous. And you and American Christians are ridiculous because we don't understand what the rest of the world actually the threats that they're under. He understands the word is so powerful and the blood is so complete that when he says the blood is on my hair, when the witch doctor is doing the ziggy, ziggy, ziggy and the jiggy, jiggy, jiggy with the hair, nothing works because the blood curses his spells. Are you with me? So he's telling me these stories and he's so humble and he's so simple and he doesn't do it dramatically like I do. He just says it very monotone and very like, well, you know, then I just cursed it and I said the blood is on my hair and then they did the jiggy jiggy and it didn't work. I'm like, you could really work this up, Pastor. I mean, you could really, I mean, I'd give you an offering if you just added a little bit of life to it. And I'm like, my God, that is amazing. I just, he says, faith in the word. Faith comes from the word. But then he says, he says, now, so I was saying to him, I said, you know, brother, thank God that you've got faith in the word because, you know, that, that is saving your life. And then he stops me. This is through the translator. And he goes, well, that's true. We have to have faith in the word. He says, but, now this is going to sound wrong to you, but just let me finish. But hmm, the word is so powerful by itself. I said, yes, but you have to have faith in the word. You did all that because you had faith in the word. Yes, that's true. But the word, so powerful. Even for people that don't have faith. I said, what are you talking about? You have to have faith in it for it to work. He goes, yes, that's true. But the word worked anyway. And I said, what do you mean? So he tells me the story of this little kid that he was witnessing to. 
in the Buddhist monk, he's a, he's a, they take children, especially orphan children, and they put them in the monastery to raise them to be monks. So they have like, it's almost like an orphanage, but it turns into the next generation of monks. Other, ch- other families donate their children on purpose because it's an honor for the child to be a monk. So he said, we were talking to this little girl. She's only three years old, four years old, and she's being raised in that thing because they have male monks, but then they have women that also assist and do other things in the, in the monastery. And so this little girl with all these other orphans that are going to be raised to work in the temple, and, and they're very strict, you know, they're, very, they're Buddhist, right? Demons everywhere, idols everywhere. And so they had told her that Jesus loves her and that Jesus wants to be her. She's only four or five years old, and they gave her a little New Testament, now that little girl, all she hears is the Buddhist thing, oh, day in, day out, day in, day out. That's, they're brainwashing them. Yeah. But she's got this tiny little New Testament and she hid it in her, she hid it in her inner pocket because you're not allowed to have any foreign religious materials in the monastery. She hid it in the pocket. She hadn't even started to read it yet. But she just heard, Jesus loves you and his story is in this book. So she tucked it away where nobody would find it. And so they're going about their days and their stuff. She's not even releasing faith in it. She hasn't even read it yet. She's five. And all of a sudden, the main monk comes in, calls all the kids together. Which of you is into, he calls it witchcraft. Isn't it interesting? They call what we do witchcraft. Who is into witchcraft? No, no, nobody puts their hand up. Some of you, one of you, one of you. Because we, when they go into the thing and the demons will manifest to them in their temples. And now the demons won't manifest. And they would put out food to feed. The food would disappear the next morning. That actually happens. Demons eat the food physically. And the food is still left there. They know the demons aren't eating the food. And they know the demons aren't manifesting. And they know something's wrong because somebody's doing witchcraft, which is Christianity. Wow. Who's doing it? So they, nobody admits it. So they start to strip search every child. Take their clothes off. Look through their, look under their beds. They find the New Testament in the little girl's inner thing. They were so furious. They took it, they burned it, and then all of a sudden, their demons started to manifest again. And that pastor told me, he said, Pastor Craig, he sang through the translator, he says, the Bible is so powerful. Even without understanding what it is, just its presence in the monastery, being hidden, caused the demons to stand back. That's what he meant when he said, yes, you must believe and have faith in the word, but the word is so powerful. You don't understand how powerful it is because a little girl wasn't releasing faith. She just had the book, but the book in a dark atmosphere is like a throbbing orb of God's power because those words are alive. In the realm of the spirit, they're alive. And so he was trying to explain to me, yes, we must release faith in the word. But, you, but he was trying to teach me something which I didn't understand. He's trying to say, this thing, this book is alive. Amen. You just look at it like a book, but you put this in a demon temple, demons will stand back. Power will be held at bay. Not even believing in it, just its presence there causes them to not be able to manifest. I thought that was an astonishing testimony. Only once... They found the Bible and burned it. Did the demons start doing their thing again? This book, it's not just a book. It's not just a good idea. 
It's not just some author's existential ideas. This is breathed by God himself through authors over thousands of years. These words are alive. Now they're logos because until they get in your heart, they don't turn alive. But just the logos is so powerful. It can hold back forces. Don't underestimate the preciousness of this book. This book is our life. This book is our life. The devil is trying tooth, nail, and claw to undermine this book, to make you disregard this book, to let it gather dust on your Chesterfield. This book is your life. No matter what you're facing, come to me. Come to the word. Get into the word. Pour into the word. Effort in the word. And it will pour. If you pour into it, it will pour into you. If you look at it with a heart of hunger, it will ignite into a firing sword in you. And it will ignite your mouth and you will start to speak life. Everywhere you look will be life, life, life. To your finances, life. To your health, life. To your marriage, to your children, life. Because the word is life. He says, my words are spirit and they are life. My God, it brings you right into the throne of grace, the throne of the anointing. And whatever is being hitting you and hurting you and attacking you and buffeting you, the anointing breaks it. And you step out of that presence into your day, light and easy. You still got a job description, you still got responsibility, but it's light and it's easy. Hallelujah. Don't underestimate this book. This book is the most precious book that we have. Men have died to get this book into China. People have been martyred smuggling this book into Russia. Don't mistreat it. Don't toss it aside. When I have time, I'm on my social media. Take this, it's so precious. I'm not trying to be over dramatic, I'm telling you. It's so precious. Which doctors can't stand against it. Witchcraft can't stop it. Demons can't abide it. Darkness has to flee. uh, Sickness has to recede. Financial pressure has to bow. Demons have to look and turn back because of the power of the word in our mouth. Hallelujah. Glory to God Almighty. I hope you leave tonight loving this book more than ever. Loving this book more than ever. I'm taking this. I'm not giving it back. Loving this book more than ever. We have it on our phones, but there's still something about feeling it in your hand. I just, I know I'm old school and don't, don't knock me, but there's just, I have my Bible on my desk. I should probably bring it more. It's just more convenient because all my notes are beside my Bible and my phone. But just having it in your hand. Praise God. Hallelujah. When I was at customs, I'd have my little Bible right at the top of my desk for everyone when they walk by. Oh yeah, he's Padre. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Don't be ashamed, Romans 1.16, of the gospel. What's the gospel? This book. Don't be afraid to put it on your desk. They put everything else on their desk. Don't be afraid to put it on your desk. Don't be afraid to quote it. Kenneth Copeland says, talk to unbelievers as though they're Christians. I know some people say he's wrong, but he just talks to unbelievers like they're Christians. Well, yes, he doesn't call them brother, but but yes, sir. Well, the Bible says, and you just quoted to them. Well, my father says this, and I know what you say, but my faith says this. He just talks to them like they're one, you know, because he says, well, that's, that's who I am. I'm a believer. I can talk believing words. If they don't understand it, tough luck for them. 
But that's just who I am. It comes out of me. It just comes out of me. Praise God. I was meditating on something. I got to the, the, the thing the other day and I was getting my coffee and I was so excited. I saw, see, the, the, the sword stood up and started spinning on the inside of me. Yeah. And I saw something I hadn't seen before. And I went, oh my God. But I didn't realize that the window was rolling down when I was in there. And I said, glory to God. And the woman was looking at me. She stared right at me. It just came out of me. I couldn't help it. I said, glory to God. And she said, Hello. And I said, I'm so sorry, ma'am. I said, I'm just excited. She goes, what are you excited about? I said, I'm excited about Jesus. Those poor people, you have no idea the hell they go through. At that window, day in and day out. It's okay once in a while to give them a little breath of fresh air. Maybe even throw in a $5 tip. You, scu- you, you scuzzies, you, you, you cheapskates. <laughs> oh, you know, I'm serious. People are so obsessed with $1.79. But when the Holy, don't, don't know when he doesn't prompt you, but when he prompts you. Throw in the $5 and give a little witnessing card and say, Jesus loves you. You buy a cup of coffees on me because Jesus knows what you're going through. And I bless you today with my words. You have no idea how one little statement like that can set their whole day. (laughs) When we were in Brazil, there was this poor man that came and I felt the compassion of God come up within me. I almost started to weep because Sheila's so used to it. They're always bugging her. But it just come up on the inside. I said, open your window. I have to give him something. And she said, just, just give him, just give him, you know, two, two or three or four. I says, no, give him this 40 or 50, whatever it was, which for them is astronomical for a poor person. But he's blind. He, the, that guy was blind. He, she told me, she said, he's blind. That's why he was feeling the car like this. He's blind. And, and they're so poor. But you see, even though I don't have a time to witness to him, I don't have, but just to tell him. And I said, tell him Jesus loves him. So she said that in Portuguese and she handed him that money, which she thought was too much. They see the Holy Ghost has such a compassion for these people. He wants them to hear Jesus. And you know what broke my heart, Jenny? When he started walking away, he walked back around the car this way and he was crying. Tears were streaming down his face as he was holding that money. And I thought, Lord Jesus, touch that man. We only had a chance to tell him that Jesus loves him. But that money said something to him. That money, that generosity equaled Jesus to him. I said, did you say anything else, Sheila? She said, well, I told him, go find yourself a good church because they'll tell, they'll tell you more about Jesus. And he's crying while he's walking away. I'm telling you, we've got to have a compassion for people. They need the word. They need compassion. They need, whether it's a little gift financially or whether it's a word of encouragement or whether it's this or it's that, they need the word. Praise God. Last thing, ushers, come help me. When I was getting that stupid vaccine, which I had to do, but the fear in the hospital, you could feel it was tangible. And that little Filipino lady, you know, she says, roll up your sleeve, you know, and I'm doing that. And I'm just so, just, I'm just having to smile. She goes, why are you smiling? I said, because I'm happy. Why are you happy? Nobody comes here happy. Everybody's afraid. She said, oh. I said, I'm born again. I'm bold with people. I tell them, I'm born again. I've got the Holy Ghost. Do you know what that means? She goes, I do. I'm a Christian. She said, are you, who are you? I said, I'm a pastor. She says, you're a pastor? She said, I'm a Christian. And she's, you know, she's swabbing and she's doing all of that. She says, oh, this is so, she says, could I take my time as I give this to you? Because I want to be around you as much as I can. And I said, slow down, sister. Don't take so, don't go so fast. Just swab that baby again. She took twice as long with me. And then she says, could you lay hands on me and pray? This is everybody's, you know, standing for the vaccine. I laid my hand right on her head. I said, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for strength in this demon-filled hospital. I thank you that you give her power. And I started, I prayed, I prayed bold. People saw me, I don't care. 
And, she, and I said, and she said, oh, praise God, Pastor. She said, I'm going to get through my day strong now. Uh, she said, I'm so tired of fear. Everyone comes in here filled with fear. She said, I feel boldness now. Jenny's over on the other one, and they're on the little cubicle, and I'm there. I'm telling you, you can be a witness everywhere you go. The love of Jesus shining out of you everywhere you go. Generosity, the word of God, words of life, everywhere you go. Because Jesus has changed our life. Heavenly Father, today, tonight we thank you in Jesus' name for your word. Come unto me, come unto your word. Lord, we're going to do it. We're going to exercise effort to study it, to get revelation from it. And it's going to bring us right into the throne room of grace and anointing and power. And it's going to break off us this heaviness and these burdens and these tribulations and tests and trials. And we're going to leave full of the light and easy power of God. Jesus, I thank you. When people struggle, and all of us do, including me, and when we feel tired and weary and alone and buffeted and disconnected, and when we feel like just this, this life is so hard that we're living, Lord, let us immediately turn to you, Jesus. Turn to your word, for in your word there's strength. In your word there's revelation. In your word will get into the throne of grace and we'll find the anointing and the anointing will make our life light and easy. I thank you for it, Father. I've done my best, Father, to preach this in a way that they would understand it. I thank you that they will take the seed of the word, let it go into their hearts now, and let it grow and multiply and germinate and bring forth fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. And if they don't remember everything in the sermon, let them remember this one thing. When we're feeling in trouble, when we're feeling buffeted, go to the word. The word will bring us victory. The word is alive. The word is powerful. Even just the physical Bible holds back darkness. I thank you for the power of your word. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said amen and amen.